0: Um, If you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And I started a series a couple of weeks ago called Pass It On. And the idea of this series is kind of around a relay race. We all understand what a relay race is. Um, In a relay race, you need people that can run fast, but you also need people that can hand off the baton in a successful way. If you hand it off too early or too late or you drop the baton, it's a disqualification. Um, So running is important, isn't it, Caitlin? And handing the baton off is... Equally as important. Um, And so we're using that kind of idea to talk about one generation to another generation. Now, Kyle and I were talking this morning and he gave me kind of an idea that I didn't think of. uh, But as you hand off the baton to the next generation, your job's not done. We might be tempted to say, all right, job done, sit back and just relax and enjoy what's going on. But if you notice in a race, you're supporting the person that you handed the baton off, you're cheering them on and you're watching to see what the outcome is. Amen? And so for us as a generation, we're handing down our faith to the next generation. So the first week was basically that, just a call to this just idea that we have a responsibility to hand off this precious faith to the next generation. There's a lot at stake. And last week, we were just kind of talking about all the many things that we could hand down to the next generation as far as our faith is concerned. You could put a whole list of things and what would be the most important, what would be at the top of that list? Well, we looked at the, the greatest command that's given to us in the Gospels, and um, the, the man, the, the teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, teacher, what is the greatest command? And we know that by heart. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. And so the big idea last week is if we can hand down one thing to the next generation is that people are valuable to God. God values people, and we should as well. Uh, people matter more than stuff. Amen. People matter more than things, and so love God, love people. Well, today, as I'm considering this, handing down our faith to the next generation. Um, The topic that I want to hit on today is so broad, we could probably do a four- and five-week series on this. I'm going to try to squeeze it into one, but not too much information. Uh, But I want to talk for a few moments about spiritual warfare. So as a parent um, handing down my faith to the next generation, When I think about what the next generation is up against or what they have to face, um, I realize that there's a lot at stake, and I realize that there may be some things that that next generation doesn't even consider as as realities. Now, as a parent, I, I think I've done a great job at trying to teach my kids from a physical perspective, a physical realm, to watch out for certain things. Stop me if you've heard it. Don't go near a white parked van in a parking lot. We call those creeper vans, right? Um, Don't walk somewhere in the dark alone, girls. Have you heard that one? Oh, here's one. Don't take candy from strangers. Heard that one growing up? When I was a kid, they were talking about putting all this stuff in your candy, and so trick-or-treat got scary, and moms and dads wouldn't let us go trick-or-treating. You've done that? Bad company corrupts good character. We'd say, hey, I don't think those people are really good for you to be hanging out with. They bring out the worst in you. So as parents, we're really good at trying to and pre- condition and prepare the next generation to know what to watch out for, to have their head on a swivel, so to speak, and to know what to look out for. Um, and, and you just go on and on and on. The things that we teach them, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right? Or watch out for the shysters. Watch out for the scam artists. You know, the latest scam comes along the way. And us older ones that have been there, done that, are going, hey, that's a scam. How do you know? I've Been there, done that. So we get that, we understand in a physical realm how important it is for us to invest our knowledge into the next generation, but when it comes to the spiritual realm, um, I think it's something that if we're not careful, we can neglect. In fact, it's not talked about a whole lot in churches today. For some, it's talked about almost nil, nothing, and then others excess, I mean, just they obsess over it, and it's all they think about. I think that there's a healthy balance to that, and I want to just share that with you Um, And I believe that when it comes to spiritual battles, half of the battle is knowing that there is one, knowing who the enemy is, and knowing his tactics. Amen? And so as we're teaching the next generation uh, about this thing called uh, spiritual warfare, let us just consider um, a few verses. I had you turn to Ephesians 6. I'm going to get to that in a moment. We'll look at a passage in Corinthians, um, and, and I'll tell you those if you want to follow along. Or if you just want to take some notes, uh, that would be um, awesome as, as well. Um, here, here's what I'll say about this. <clears throat> I was kind of raised in a family that the spiritual stuff, um, spiritual warfare was talked about a lot. It was hyped up. There was a demon in everything. I mean, I had a flat tire on the way to work. It was the, the flat tire demon, you know? Or I got fired from my job because I didn't show up three weeks in a row as a bad boss demon, you know what I mean? I don't think it works that way. Um, uh, the air conditioning quits. We would just, I mean, there's a demon behind every bush, and it was just excessive. And then there are those that say, you know what, that stuff's crazy. Um, just don't believe in that, that kind of stuff. But here, here's what you need to know. Whether you believe it or whether you, not, you don't believe it, um, it is real. And regardless of whether you want to believe it or not believe it, you will, if you don't believe it and don't understand this stuff, you can become a victim of, of his schemes. Satan's been at this a long, long time, and he knows how to play the game. And I, I see so many Christians today that are victims of his tactics, his schemes, and it's just heart-wrenching. I mean, open up Facebook, and you're, you're reading stuff, and you're like, man, do you even own a Bible? Have you read it uh, about what, the, what God says about who we are in Christ and the victory that we have in Jesus? Um, and so it's just heart-wrenching to see this. And so I want to share with you just quickly a few things um, in this topic. Number one, there's an invisible world. Um we believe by faith that Jesus came. I wasn't here when he did it. We believe that Jesus came. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. We have to accept that by faith as well. We believe that he was raised on the third day and that he ascended into heaven. Raise your hand if you agree. All right. So we believe, but we believe that by faith faith is believing what we don't see. The same thing is true of the spiritual realm. We may not see it but it takes faith to see, it, to understand that it is there and it does exist. One really cool story um, in Second Kings, I'm going to just kind of give you a, a little bit of background. Second Kings, so you have this prophet Elisha. And, and there's a king there that's wanting to get rid of Elisha because the king wants to attack Israel. And every time he, he makes these plans, they're secret plans... Um Elisha just hears from God, and God says, here's what they're fixing to do next. And so he just warns the king of Israel, hey, don't go there, there's a trap. And so the king that was wanting to attack the Israelites were like, who's the traitor in our bunch? And the guys were saying, it's none of us, it's the God of Israel. Elijah, the prophet, he's the, one, the prophet for Israel. He tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. I mean, Elisha's got God's ear, or, or excuse me, God has Elisha's ear, and he hears him, and he just telling him every move. And so finally, he has a gut full of it, and he sends all of his armies to go attack Elisha. Now, Elisha is there with his servant. So imagine the scene. Elisha and his servant camped out, probably in a tent. And then the, the servant gets out, and he looks around, and he sees armies and armies and armies around him. And he's like, uh-oh, I think we're in trouble. So he goes to the man of God, Elisha. And he says, yoinks, you know, what do we do? It looks bad out there. Elisha says, there are more for us than there are against us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the servant. I'm going to go, you plus me is two. You're horrible at math, Elisha. There's much more out there than there are in this tent. And so Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open. And when he opened his eyes, he says, he looked up and he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. There were more there than there were against them that were for them. So there's this unseen world. They say they that's just one cool story in Elisha, or excuse me, in the Old Testament. Um, the New Testament is filled with examples. Jesus himself um, dealt with the spiritual realm. He spoke of, of Satan often. Um, his, his, his tricks, his tactics, he was confronted by uh, Satan I was tempted, but he didn't go away. He kept coming back and coming back. And most of the stories that are recorded in the Gospels will have a reference there to something in the spiritual realm. There is an invisible world. Get it? Got it? Good. All right, so there's an invisible world. <clears throat> there's also an invisible war. Now, when you become a follower of Christ Jesus, you were put into the battle. You're like, I didn't didn't sign up for that. Well, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're just in it. You're a soldier in the Lord's army. But here's the key. It's not your battle, but you are the soldier. Does that make sense? It's not your battle, but you are the soldier. You've just been enlisted into this great cosmic battle that's been going on for centuries, and there is an invisible war. Ephesians chapter 6 hits on that. In chapter 6, verse 10, Paul is laying out who we are in Christ, um, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, that we're made alive in Christ, that we have peace with Christ. Um, He gets to chapter 4 and he begins to say, live a life worthy of the calling that you have been called to. He talks about unity in the body, living as children of the light, and then he goes to the relationships, husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, masters, and then in verse 10 he says, a final word. He's wrapping up this letter, and he's like, hey, this is important. I want to give you one final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, we need to hear that today, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Say unseen world. So he said, there's a battle that's going on, and we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We need to learn that lesson because many times we look at flesh and blood, that's the enemy. No, no, no. That's just being used by the real enemy. The enemy is a spiritual enemy. There's a spiritual war. Um, He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Uh, There is an invisible war. If you back up to 2 Corinthians... Um, Chapter 10, Paul, again in verse 3, says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts. So, so most of the battle is <clears throat> right here, between these two ears. It's a battle for the mind. There is an invisible world. There is an invisible war. Scripture is very clear about that. The weapons that we use are not carnal, um, but they're spiritual, and we're, we have a spiritual enemy. Who is that enemy? We know the answer already because I'm preaching to the choir, but help me out. Okay, and he's got a lot of names, so you couldn't probably get it wrong if you just grabbed one of them. But Satan, he's the enemy. Now here's the thing that I think that if I'm him and he's clever, and he's very cunning and clever, one of his greatest assets he has is people that don't acknowledge that there is a conflict, or that don't acknowledge that he exists, because if he doesn't exist, that's the way he wants it. He wants you to believe that he doesn't, he's just a, a myth, a figment of your imagination. Just let it go. Go back to sleep. Drink the Kool-Aid, you know? Just keep doing what you're doing. Because as long as he can do that, he can make you think that the enemy is actually your husband or your wife or that coworker, the boss, the friend in school, the bully in school, um, the people who, uh, who um, I guess, buy into the ideology of ISIS or Islam and all that things. We, we put the people there and we say, that's the enemy, but the enemy is much more... Um, it, it's much more dark than that. It's a spiritual enemy, and we need to realize that. The enemy, the real enemy that we're engaged in this battle with is Satan. Why? Why this war? I, I wanted to look at a couple of passages in the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah chapter 14, listen to what it says. <clears throat> this is a, a prophecy uh, about a Babylonian king, but in that it gives us a revelation of, um, of Satan and, and his demise, it says um, in verse 12 of chapter 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. That's not a physical king, fallen from heaven. It's a speaking of Satan. It says, you have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world, So, or for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest mountains and be like the most high God. See, he was lifted up with pride. And the Bible says in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. And so there was this this war waged over glory. He wanted to be above God. He wanted to to set his place above God. He was lifted up with pride. And so I said there's two of them. Another one is in um, Ezekiel chapter 28. <clears throat> Listen to what it says. You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Later there it says, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led to violence and you sinned, so I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your your love of splendor, so I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings." And so. Again, Satan, this beautiful, created being, lifted up with pride, wanted to elevate himself above God, was kicked out of heaven, and that's when the war began. When you became a follower of Christ Jesus, you just got involved in this huge cosmic conflict between the glory of God and Satan wanting to steal the glory for himself. And so we're engaged in an invisible war, And we need to know about this war, um, what the battle looks like. And here's the good news, church, before you get discouraged, we win. Thank you, the two of you that said that. But listen, let me say it again. Here's the good news. As a follower of Jesus Christ, don't take my word for it. The word is powerful. Let's look at Revelation. I love this passage. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the keys to the bottomless pit. And a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan. And bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit. Which he then shut and locked to Satan. or So Satan could not deceive the nations anymore. Until a thousand years were finished. Afterward he must be released for a little while. You go over a little bit and it says. um, Verse 10 of chapter 20 in Revelation. To the devil who had deceived them. Or excuse me, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Ha, ha. Oh, I love that. Satan gets it, right? We win. We are on the winning team. The battle is the Lord's, and he is victorious. But day to day, as followers of Christ, we are engaged in little battles. And the battle is fought on many different fronts. There's the spiritual battle, things going on in the heavenlies that we may not even know, and we just see the ramifications of it in the physical realm. We have the worldly battles, the battle with the world, the the culture, the things that the world tries to impose upon us. There's a, a battle that wages there. And I think one of the biggest ones, especially for me, is the internal battle. The battle of the flesh. You know, before I came to Christ, I was pretty good at what I did, and that was sinning. When I came to Christ, I had I, you know, become transformed in this new person, but there's still this um, potential of going back and, and, and just grabbing some of those old thought processes and those little actions of the old man. And there's this battle that wages within us. And so, for me, understanding that is half of the battle, to know that there is a war and we're all in it. What are his schemes? What are his tactics? Um, I like to watch football, and we don't see all the hard work that goes into preparing for a game, but some football teams have people on staff, and their only job is to analyze film, and they will just go through film after film after film, and they will look at schemes. They will look at their opponent's tactics, how they approach the ball. Every time they take three steps back, they go to this guy, or they they run this route, and they will just sit and analyze it 30% of the time, 60% of the time this happens, and they get very good at reading that. Why? Because they want to win a ring. They want to win the game, and so they're good at recognizing schemes to win a ring. Church, there's so much more at stake for us. We have a lot at stake if you consider... The next generation, they were handing the baton of faith off to. If they don't know that there's an enemy, they don't know that there's a war, and they don't know and recognize the schemes of Satan, they may just be busy fighting each other. And your heart's broken because you're seeing them just get whipped back and forth, back and forth by the enemy. Listen, here's the good news. If they're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you're in the hands of God and nothing can take you from the hands of God. It's not a salvation issue. So that's good news, amen? But he can totally wreck your marriage and has. He can totally wreck your life with drugs and alcohol, and he's very successful with that. He can wreck your life with giving in to temptation. He's really good at that. Let me just tell you, he knows which bait to throw, if you know what I mean. You may say, Shane, I don't, I don't struggle with that. That's all right, he'll get around to you. He knows your bait and he will throw it. He's good at what he does. So there's a lot at stake, and we need to recognize, acknowledge, and I guess, forewarn the next generation. Hey, listen, there is a spiritual battle, and you need to keep your, keep your head on a swivel. Um, so the schemes, some of the names that are mentioned in Scripture, not all of them, but some of them that will kind of give you his tactics. Um, one of the names is Abaddon, and it means destruction. He's destructive in nature. He's the destroyer. Um, he's called the accuser, and that's someone who opposes believers before God. He's an adversary, that means he's against God, and therefore he's against us. Apollyon means destroyer, one that exterminates. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. He's called the devil, which means slanderer. He's called the dragon, also means destructive. The enemy, which is an opponent. He's called the evil one, which is naturally evil. The God of the world means he influences the thinking of this world, that front that I talked about, the the, the battle of the world. He's called a liar. That means he perverts the truth. Satan knows enough scripture to persuade people, but he twists truth. He's a liar, a liar at heart. He's called a murderer. He leads people to eternal death. He closes and blinds the eyes of many people that they don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful gift of his grace that God opens the eyes so that they can see the gospel and respond. I've heard stories of a uh, gospel message laid out just absolutely clear, A, B, C. I mean, this is what you need to do. And, and people would walk out and like, I wonder if um, Adam had a belly button. Or Eve, I mean, you know, just like, where you don't even listen to what was said, he is good at closing the minds and blinding those so that they don't hear the truth of the gospel because he doesn't want you on the winning team. He's a murderer. He's the prince of the power of the air, meaning he's the controller of unbelievers. He's the prince of the devils. He's the leader of the fallen angels. Um, his name is Satan, which also means adversary, the old serpent. He's the deceiver that was in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Um, he is the tempter, that is, he solicits people to sin. And he's very, very good at that. So you see, by just looking at his names, it kind of lets you know what his, his schemes and his tactics are. Church, we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware when we see something happen, do we look at the people? that might be be being used? Or do we look beyond that and say, this is one of the tactics of Satan. He's a deceiver. He's a divider. Listen, he wants to wreck marriages. He tempts us with evils. He inspires wicked thoughts. He opposes those who are in God's service. You better believe he opposes those who are in God's service. In fact, I think they have a bigger target on their back sometimes. He makes accusations against God's people. He seduces believers to sin. He diverts from God's truth. Compromise, doubt, all of these come from him. But here's good news. And we need some good news. As I said a while ago, <clears throat> we are on the winning team. I read that passage in Revelation. We know what the end is going to be. And that is uh, truly good news. First Peter chapter five, if you want to write this one down, this is another one of those passages of scripture that I think we need to commit to uh, our hearts and memory. There are many battles along the way, and I believe the key to victory, as I said earlier, is just knowing. Half the battle is just knowing that there is a spiritual world, a spiritual battle um, that that is going on, and that the people are not the real enemy, but there is an evil behind that we need to be aware of. Again, I'm not talking about a, a devil behind everything that goes on in this life. Sometimes we are just dumb, and we do stuff, and there's consequences to that. But there is a reality that we all need to acknowledge and know, and there's a lot at stake, especially when you consider your younger kids, um, and you send them out into the big bad world. I think it's one of the parents' greatest fears, isn't it? You got them in the home, and you're doing everything you can to protect them, and and then there's one point where you have to kind of do this, kick them out of the nest. Is that scary for anybody else? Some big bad world out there. We need to prepare them with knowledge, obedience to God's word. I think He's given us two. Very precious things, prayer. Won't go into all of those in depth today, but Scripture's filled with examples of that. Jesus himself prayed. He prayed on our behalf. He's teaching. He's modeling for us the power of prayer because the enemy is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Prayer is powerful. Amen? But he also gives us his word. His word is truth. He leads us by his truth, and his word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, what did he do? He quoted the old Scriptures. It has been said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The scriptures are very powerful. Two very precious resources that are given to us to be able to win these battles if we know there's a battle and if we know there's an enemy, right? Are you with me? All right, First Peter 5. I'm going to back up here. Um, let's see in verse, 20, know, verse 5. In the same way, He's talking about younger and older men, elders, and then the young men. Um, He's addressed the elders, and now he's saying to you, Younger men, you must accept the authority of the elders, and all you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. The very next verse, stay alert. Some of your Bibles will say, be sober, be vigilant, for you have a great enemy. You have an adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So you see three commands there. Stay alert. That means to be sober um, as someone is... Uh, coming out of a, a hangover, just like get clear-minded, get control of yourself. Be sober-minded. Stay alert. Watch out. Be vigilant. If you send some soldiers into a foreign country in a hot spot, you better believe they're going to be walking with their head on a swivel, aren't they? And They're not just like going for a little cruise in Baghdad or whatever. They're looking for, around every corner crook for the enemy. That's what it means to be vigilant. It means to keep your eyes open looking for uh, the enemy. Why? Because the enemy, the great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy lives. And you know what, church? It's the same. He's very successful at it many times. I think sometimes he's successful because the victims don't realize that they're engaged in a battle. But we are. The battle is the Lord's, but you are the soldier. Stand firm against him. Stand firm and be strong in your faith. Why? Greater is the one that's inside of you than the one that's in the world. Greater is he that is in us than the one, the deceiver, the tempter, the liar, the devourer, the destroyer. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm on the winning team. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Be sober, be vigilant. Because there's an adversary. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee you. But I would add, he will come back. For the rest of our lives, before Christ returns, we're going to have battles. And each one of those battles is is in and of itself and we may come as the tempter he may come as the accuser. He may come as a divide and conquer. And with each one of those, we have this gift of his prayer and the gift of the word of God to combat that, to put on the whole armor of God, the rest of that Ephesians passage, and to stand against the schemes of the devil, resist him, and it says he will flee, but you better not think it's over. All right, I agree. You never get to a point in your Christian walk where you get beyond the attacks of the enemy. You never get beyond it. He might just come up with another plan, another scheme, but he's always going to pursue. He's always going to... Because he is ticked that you and I would decide to place our faith in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he himself wants the glory, lifted up with pride. He is in a battle, a war, and he's going to do as much damage as he can until the day it's all over with. But in the crosshairs are the next generation. And us... So we need to, as Christians, have our head on a swivel, be sober, be vigilant, recognize there is a battle. But also as we're considering the next generation coming up underneath us to make sure they know as well. Does that make sense? Do you hear my heart behind that, my, my, my passion? Because as a pastor, you just see it, and it just breaks your heart. You're like, these guys need to know, they need to know, they need to know. There is a battle. You're in the Lord's army Um, And he's given us everything that we need to succeed. Half of the battle is just knowing, having the understanding that we are in um, that conflict. But he and we will be victorious in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Mm. Someone said one time, Satan's good at this. Um, I mean, you're trying to get your life on track. You're doing things the way God would want you to do them. And um, you have a setback. You slip back into a sinful pattern. You slip and you say those words or you respond in that anger or whatever it is. And the first one there to say, aha, ah," is the accuser of the brethren. And the one he's messing with primarily is you. It's in your head. And the first thing he's going to do is discourage you, make you doubt, am I really a believer in Christ? Because if I was a believer in Christ, I probably wouldn't have done that. And he's very good at discouraging He's very good at trying to to make you think, all right, you know what? This is all a sham. You you might as well just give it up because you're not perfect. And he's, he's really good at that. Every time he reminds you of your past, here's what they used to say, remind him of his future. Every time he brings up your past and reminds you of the scumbag that you once were, any scumbags in the room or just the pastor, every time he brings that stuff up, rather than allowing it to get to us, to discourage us, to get us to take our eyes off of the author and the finisher of our faith. Every time he brings it up, we just need to recognize it for what it is and say, you know what, that is true. I once was lost, but now I'm found by the grace of God. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up, I'm going to dust myself off. First John 1, 9, I'm going to confess my sins to him. He's going to cleanse me from that, forgive me of that, and I'm going to keep walking forward in Jesus' name. But let me just remind you, devil, you're going to lose the war. You're going to lose the war, and we will be victorious in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, for, thank you for allowing us to be a part of the winning team. Ultimately, we know one day when all this comes to an end, uh, the dust is settled, you will reign victorious. And those who have placed their faith in you will also be victorious. But in the meantime, Lord, until that day, there's a battle that, goes on in front of us, and many people are just oblivious to it. Lord, for some, they just obsess over it, and it's all they think about. I think it's unhealthy as well. But some would just uh, say, I don't believe in that stuff and let it go, and that's right where the enemy would want them to be. Because as long as they don't believe in him, he is um, concealed, and he's working behind the scenes, and he's using people, and they're fighting the wrong enemy of bringing a knife to a gunfight. And um, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. Um, I pray that you would give us just discernment to see the things that we, every day, that we deal with. Uh, and just ask the question, is there a spiritual realm to this? Is there something here that I need to see, acknowledge, and um, go to battle in? And Father, thank you that we have your word. <clears throat> thank you that we have uh, this beautiful communication of prayer where we can talk to the the creator and the sustainer of the universe and ask for his help in our time of need and that you hear us and you deliver us from all those and we will be victorious. God, thank you so much for that good news. Would you please just give us a sense of urgency? Lord, Is generation A handing the baton off to generation B, would you give us a sense of urgency um, to keep our eyes open in our own lives uh, for the sake of our families and uh, the people that we're trying to influence and minister to. Lord, he could take our feet out from under us, under us and cause us to lose our testimony to those very people that we're trying to influence. So Lord, would you keep us aware, alert, but would you also give us a sense of urgency to pass down that very important information? Lord, be intentional at um, when we're giving our kids all these um, things that they should watch out for and the ways of the world that we not neglect the spiritual things as well. Again, Father, that's not the, the ultimate uh, focus that we should focus on, but it is something It's a reality that we all need to acknowledge. And I pray that you would just make us victorious on that, that the enemy would be found for who he is and what he does, and he would be rendered ineffective in our lives, in our children's lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.